0: Hello and welcome to Sound Strategic. I'm Maya Owens. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the increasingly diversified landscape of defense industry and defense procurement. And joining me today to discuss their recent findings are two brilliant colleagues of mine in the WS Defense and Military Analysis Program, Tom Waldwin and Haina Joe. Tom is Research Associate for Defense Procurement at the WIAAS, where he conducts research on defense industry and procurement. He contributes to the Military Balance book, the Military Balance Plus online database, and other IISS publications and projects. Haina is the research analyst for defense and military analysis at the IISS. She contributes to the Institute's research on defense spending, defense industry, and military equipment and procurement. Like Tom, she also works on the Military Balance and the Military Balance Plus online database. Welcome, Haina and Tom. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
1: thanks for having us, ma'am.
0: Tom, maybe just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit what today's defense industrial landscape looks like geographically? Our listeners, I think, will likely know Western defense giants like Lockheed Martin, Boeing and Raytheon. But in today's global defense industrial landscape, um, we see a lot more diversity than that, correct?
1: The big names you mentioned, the big American, the big European companies, they're still at the top of the the pecking order, if you like, in terms of market capture and uh, size. But, but the thing that's probably changed over the past 20 years is that um, companies from um, countries that aren't in Western Europe, aren't in the US, aren't in Russia, um, have grown quite a bit, and there are a few countries where um, their defence exports have increased um, quite substantially over the past decade. And That includes uh, Korea, Turkey, Poland, uh, Brazil, that's, that's something which is going to continue into the near future.
0: So, what's leading to this increased diversity?
1: Well, it's been it's political choices in those countries to put up the money for the investment to make that happen. Um, if if you want to have a, def- a defense industry that does more than just manufacture bullets, uh, does more than manu- you know make uniforms, uh, maybe does some maintenance on aircraft and vehicles. If you want them to actually produce platforms and complex subsystems, that's expensive. It will really depend on the size of the investment from, you know, the local customer as to how, how big, how big and sophisticated that industry is going to, is going to grow. And and those, and those, those countries I mentioned uh, in, in different ways and different, different scales, they've all, they've all done that.
0: And what about the role that license builds have played in this?
1: There's two different approaches that some of these countries have taken. You can try and develop equipment from scratch. India has tried to do this a bit. That's very expensive. It's a lot more difficult to do. But if you, if that's the political choice you want to make about where you want your, if you want your investment to stay within the country, a lot of other countries have done technology transfer deals with companies from Russia, US, Europe to set up local production lines to manufacture equipment. That you know, over the course of that production run, expertise and know-how is just transferred over. More of the investment would go to local companies, or maybe afterwards um, those companies would be if you did want to then have those companies develop something original, then they would be in a better position to actually make that more you know make that happen.
0: so Haina, South Korea uh, is an interesting example, and I think according to your research, we've seen a threefold increase in defense exports from South Korea over the past decades. So what do you attribute to this growth? Can you talk a little bit about the South Korean example in a little bit more detail?
2: South Korea has been developing its local industrial capability from the 1980s. And the export value of the Korean defense industry over the last 10 years has obviously tripled from $491 million in 2009 to over $1.5 billion in 2019, recording its highest increase in 2016 of $2.4 billion. Firstly, I would say having an open mind has attributed to the Korean industry's growth. Similar to the countries Tom mentioned, Korea's journey to become an emerging arms exporter started when Korea procured the 120 F-16 fighter aircraft, which included the offset agreement in the 90s. Based on the experience from setting up a local production line for the F-16 and the technology transfer, Korea was able to develop its own trainer and light attack aircraft, the T-50 Golden Eagle, and its variant, the F-A-50. The range of the countries Korea in korean industry was influenced by is quite broad from the us to the uk germany france and russia and secondly uh, possibly thanks to the collaboration between korean industry and government diplomacy uh, the sale of 12 fa-50 aircraft to the Philippines in 2014 was followed by the MOU signed between South Korea and the Philippines for strengthening military cooperation in 2013.
1: Yeah, the uh, the, the T-50 aircraft that Hayna mentioned um, quite in, quite an interesting case study because that that was developed based on the F-16 uh, technology transfer. So I think the idea with it actually is if you would sit in it, I mean. I wouldn't notice, obviously, because I don't know anything about flying an aircraft. But if you were to, if you were a, a trainee pilot and you were to sit in that and learn to fly that, and then go sit in an F sixteen, uh, there's it's 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 designed to be you know the transition is a lot easier. Um, but, the, but that that aircraft actually is is now um, actually has actually won a number of competitive competitions with Western well um, European and uh, Russian companies um and i think that's that, that's uh that's something which not not just in this particular um area but in other sort of sectors of um procurement um you can expect to you can expect to see products from some of these emerging defense industrial nations to be a lot more competitive going forward
0: both of you speak to the role of politics and political will here in driving uh, a defense economy um, in in some of these countries, but are there any countries that you would say have the potential to become greater defense exporters but for which the political considerations might prevent them from currently doing so?
1: Japan is a very inter- interesting one there because if you if you look at the the range of Equipment types that they actually produce, uh, local companies. A lot of it is a lot of it is licensed production, but it's increasingly original designs. You know, they uh, and 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 they kind of jumped in at the deep end, if you sort of pardon the pun a little bit, with the Australian submarine uh, program because they sort of they, they they decided to right our our first big defense export campaign is going to be for this incredibly complex. Um, Program which is going to be not just the sale of equipment, but it's going to be a de- you know multi-decades investment in a you know relationship between but two countries. But you know they've got um, they've got a lot of know-how, um, and it's I think it's something they've, the government there's been wanting to change. Um, but knowing how to actually go about doing it and having you know knowing how how to access different markets. Um, is, is is another thing and I think that's something which um they're gonna find a bit they're gonna that's the that's the learning curve for them really rather than the um the sort of technological learning curve.
0: So the business angle to this is at some cases a little bit more complicated.
1: Yeah and it's 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 not just about securing the sales as well because you've got to you know you've got to offer you got to, you've got to demonstrate um that you can um provide the kind you know support package um which um you know japan and japan japanese industries only got a history of you know maintaining japanese aircraft they've not um they've not they've not dealt with you know aircraft belonging to foreign foreign customers and you know operated in those country uh, those countries so that that's that's a challenge for them as well actually I And mean, i mean the other thing they've the other thing um that is quite curious about japan is um because they really do insist on building things themselves uh which means that um they will pay more money for things uh than they would otherwise if they just imported it from uh you know from say the country that actually manufactures the original equipment um so th- they are used to so uh, whether or not they'd have whether or not they'd actually be able to export that stuff themselves, because obviously, they're not the original equipment manufacturer, they're secure export rights. But if they were to do that, for some of these things, the sort of the high the high unit cost, um, because they've just got production line for one customer at the moment, um, is also just another difficulty in, in they, they would have in being competitive.
0: You've mentioned um, that a number of these countries have entered the defense industry um, or or grown their defense industries through the use of license builds. But what is the um, proportion you would say of production that is of locally designed platforms? Is that the minority still in these emerging markets?
1: Proportionally, it's quite difficult to say, but it's, it's definitely something which is growing. Turkey, for example, they've invested a lot in local locally designed equipment, and so the kind of things that they're they're building. Span perhaps a wider range of sectors and domains to other countries, whereas there are other there are other countries like you know Brazil for example they've got good capability in some areas but their their focus their design capability is 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 narrower. You see Brazil you know they'll build transport aircraft um, and things like that which are Brazilian designed you know and light attack aircraft which are Brazilian designed but in lots of other areas it will be licensed production of you know fighter aircraft or frigates or. Submarines or something
0: like that. You mentioned a little bit about how much more expensive, to some extent, uh, locally designed uh, production can be, uh, and and how at the onset, um, some of these economies are. Uh, some of these industries will will face high costs. How competitive are exports from emerging defense industrial nations when compared to the products of Western companies? I'm thinking here, for example, of how Chinese defense companies have risen in global defense industrial rankings based on their annual defense production-related revenue to join the ranks of the Lockheed Martins and the Raytheon's of the world.
1: Well, once you've actually developed the product and put it into service, then they are competitive because they typically have lower labor costs than um, in Western Europe or the US. It's the, the the high price really comes in the development stage.
0: And what about how uh, the markets that they're aiming to export to? Are those different markets from where we see dif- Western defense primes um, try to export to? Is there a niche area uh, where uh, they're focusing on?
1: Definitely a different focus in markets. I mean, Turkey, their exports have gone to countries which they've got close political cultural ties with predominantly other Muslim nations, Azerbaijan, Qatar, they've got a very close relationship with uh, Tunisia as well. There's, there's a number of others in terms Turkey, Turkey, in terms of actual competitions, um, hasn't had yet, the kind of success um, that say Korea has had, for example, I think they've only I think they've only had one export to a NATO country so far and that was for some gun systems for a patrol boat so I think I think it was Croatia or something. Their exports is is are, are driven by political relationships.
0: But is is the aim for countries like Turkey to export to NATO? Is that something that they like to do or is the the market that they're they're, they're targeting at the moment enough sufficient?
1: Oh no, absolutely. Well, the, the, the Turkey um, Turkey actually has a very very uh overly ambitious export uh targets which um i'm not sure if they've actually still got them they they probably probably still do but a few years ago they were their their plan was by 2023 they were going to have 25 uh, 25 billion dollars worth of defense and aerospace defense exports uh per year which you know you think about your established defense i mean uk and france don't even do that it's kind of a silly target but actually what they've been able to do kind of growth that they've achieved i think in the late 2000s they were under they were on just under a billion dollars worth of exports and now they're over two billion so if you ignore the silly target what they've actually done is very impressive um and so i think the idea because because the turkish government has got a um they, they they really want um Autonomy in their defence in defence industry, and to you know ramp up the localization rate. You know the proportion of the proportion of the materials and the subsystems which are coming from local companies. They want to increase that. I mean, at the moment they're about seventy percent, which is you know still pretty high. That um, you know they want to get that even higher. Uh, and I mean, that's partly driven by the fact that they keep falling out with their allies, which um, which doesn't help when you know the countries you're supposedly uh, friends with decide to stop selling you subsystems that you need. Uh, so that's also driving that as well as, you know, job creation and economic reasons as well. So, I mean, also in Turkey, the um, running, they have a, they have an organization running their defense industry called the um, Presidency of the Defense Industries or it's SSB in Turkish it's called. That recently got moved to directly report to the president's office.
0: High prioritization.
1: Well, absolutely, yeah. There's a strong... You know, message from the top at the moment in Turkey that this is this is the way this is the direction of travel in terms of what we want to
0: be doing. Hina, hey, how does the
2: um, example of the UAE compare to this? For UAE, um, I think UAE like like Turkey like they're quite ambitious as well, and uh, UAE has like set up this organization called UAE like back in 1992, uh, which now known as Tawajun Economic Council. Um, like with this council, UAE um, tend to uh, invest more in defence R&D and also they prioritise uh, defence uh, equipment development But I mean, at the moment, they're quite low-tech equipment have been exported to only neighboring countries, um, but also including Russia and Turkmenistan. And recently, uh, UAE has launched their um, biannual IDEX conference as well. And then through their platform, they actually announced their ambition to uh, their uh, like, you know, which was their plan to uh, compete with Russian, Chinese and US companies in near future, which I doubted very much. Uh, But uh, I guess UAE is now uh, buying the, UAE is not a a country uh, who can, Compete or export at the moment, but they're investing quite a lot at the moment in their technology R and D through setting up so many numerous funds and international uh, collaboration, international partnerships. Um, through that, they might soon, like within a decade or two, they will, you know, compete with Western, Russian, even Korean companies. Uh, in foresee of a future.
1: The UAE is a really interesting example, as Hayden was saying, because uh, they've, they've slightly embarrassed their, na- their large neighbor, um, Saudi Arabia, because uh, obviously the Saudis spend a lot more on defense than the, U- the, the Emiratis do. But, you know, which, which of the two countries has a, 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 you know, as Hayden was saying, the Emirati exports are relatively low tech so far. But you know they've still got the Emiratis still have a a more sophisticated defense industry than this than Saudi Arabia does, and so uh, I mean there's a number of reasons why the Saudis launched their um, um, their big ambitions for the defense industry. I think by 2030, um, a few years ago, you know jobs, diversification of the economy, things like that. Um, but I think I suspect that a, a tiny part of the motivation might have also been look what they're getting for some of their money that they're spending we, we we should be you know with the amount of money we're spending we should be getting a bit of that as well
0: although non-western countries as you both have said are are clearly capable of being competitive in global defense exports and increasingly so um a lot of these countries and in, in industries still rely
2: on western and russian suppliers of key subsystems is that correct yes i think so uh um, the korea's indigenous main battle tank k2 black panther is a really good example uh, the prime contract uh, is hyundai rotam and k2's power pack consisting of engines supplied by a korean company called doosan infracore and the transmission systems manufactured by another korean company called hanti However, since the Korean-built power pack kept failing the quality test, hundred K2 from the 2010 contract ended up acquiring the German power pack. And the second and third batches of 156 tanks from the 2014 and 2020 contracts have also decided to go with a hybrid power pack, uh, the combination of Germany's transmission system and a Korean built engine by jusan uh, This shows that there is still some reliance with the Western suppliers for key subsystems, which can cause delays with the production, especially when the uh, Another contract was awarded like to Hyundai Rotem in December last year meaning the potential of further delays and the uh, potential uh, lack of growth for Korea's defense capabilities so what leads to this
0: weakness in developing subsystems exactly
1: it's just very difficult to do some of these i, mean, I think that that, that K2 examples is a really good one because you know the problem is every, everything else was you know pretty much fine and you had a viable tank but engines are just very you know not just for vehicles but for ships for aircraft it's very very difficult to develop one that's reliable for a military platform uh you know you think about you know the kind of things that they would have to deal with this kind of conditions temperatures you know all the, all of that kind of stuff. It's just, it seems it seems to me just very difficult to do, uh, even with the kind of technology transfer that you that um, you get for things like engines. Even then, it still seems to be really difficult. That that K two example links to um, a Turkish program actually, because uh, as I, me- I mentioned earlier, that the Turks are sort of uh, falling out with all of their s- suppliers at the moment. They've also Turkey has also got a main battle tank program at the moment called um, Alte, and you know, they actually managed to develop, I mean, it was, it was actually cooperation with, um, heavy cooperation with a Korean company. Actually the, you know, the design is actually, um, quite heavily based on the K2 tank that Hayden was talking about. So that helped as well, but you know, they managed to develop a tank, which seemed to be, you know, working fine, uh, it, it reported to have done very well in trials, you think, okay, they've actually managed to do it, you know, relatively on time. That's quite impressive. Um, all of the prototypes had German engines uh, and now they've fallen out with Germany who sort of, uh, either officially or unofficially restricting export, defense exports to Turkey. Can't, can't quite tell whether that's official, um, <laughs> embargo on exports at the moment. And that is ju- that as well as, uh, a decision to basically change the prime contractor for the program to one, which a company, which has got closer political ties to, um president erdogan um you know losing your engine supply for an armored vehicle is basically completely derailed the program um and i think Haina now the um the idea is that they're going to actually go to um those korean companies you mentioned to to source an engine i think from them
2: yes um apparently Tucson infracore and ascenti are the only uh, manufacturers In Korea, who can produce uh, engines and transmission systems for uh, military tanks.
0: Does this mean that uh, a number of these uh, countries are focusing specifically on addressing this weaker element of their industry in in, in terms of producing defense subsystems? Or are most of them skipping that and just relying on imports, uh, regardless of the political risks that they face?
1: In some cases that comes as part of the wider development of the platform. There are other ones where, particularly in shipbuilding, you get this, for, you know, frigates and things like that, where, because shipbuilding is very political in a lot of countries. You'll often find that the the relatively cheap bit, which is the steel, um, is, you know, and the hull and everything, and that's that's all built locally, but actually, you know, the radars, propulsion, uh, the weapon systems that come on board, the fitted on board, That's actually all imported. In some cases, there is no attempt to develop something, you know, a a local alternative. And you just think, well, we'll, this works, um, we can buy it off the shelf. We'll, we'll just get this instead. But there are, and then there's other platforms where it's a mix. Some of the frigates that, um, Korea was building, they've increased the amount of local systems on board for a while. They still had a lot of American, uh, missiles. And now there's now there's actually a, a, a wider range of Korean missiles. It varies quite it varies quite widely from widely from program to program.
2: And also during the research, um, I noticed that, for example, China uh, China must have other specific um, rules and protocols to choose uh, subsystems in this regard because of their national security laws and that stuff. But China also uh, seems like they still rely on importing engines and the main subcomponent. I read this kind of government report uh, showing that um, China still imported German aero engines uh, from a company called Flog Flugmotoren. Sorry for my pronunciation. <laughs> Uh, based in Kraniehiv Spinta uh, in Germany. uh, And this Chinese guy uh, called Mr. Chan uh, acquired the 100% of equity of this company in January 2012. So, you know, this shows that China also uh, has to rely on sub-components. Absolutely. Maybe to end on, uh, uh, to continue this political
0: thread and to end on it as well, um, how vulnerable are these emerging defense industrial countries to global shocks? I'm thinking here in particular of the impact that COVID-19 has had on them. Are they able to sustain themselves with domestic markets when global demand slows? I mean, I know that that's something particular to China's example, um, but is it the same for Korea, um, the UAE,
2: Poland and others? for korea um i don't think they have been um influenced by the pandemic that much because like i guess it's a kind of a part of uh uplifting employees spirit during the pandemic uh only articles or only press releases uh the korean industry publishes uh regarding about they closed down their facilities only for a couple of days due to um there are COVID cases uh, amongst the employees. But other than that, they're always on schedule and they're always on time. Everything is fine. So I guess they at least trying to be uh, act normal as a user.
1: Korea's issue perhaps predates this, which is. Um... Because obviously Korea's shipbuilding industry, not just defense, but civilian, is absolutely massive. There was a bit of a slowdown in the global shipbuilding industry that predated COVID, um, which actually, um, the Korean, gov- Korean government actually brought forward a number of uh, defense, pro- defense programs to actually try and assist the industry um, during that time, uh, which is similar actually to what some, of the, some governments are now doing, uh, because of COVID because, you know, a civilian aerospace has obviously been absolutely hammered by COVID. So a lot of the big defense aerospace companies, like, you know, think Airbus and Boeing is the, you know, the two biggest ones, but there's obviously lots of others as well in supply chains. And they've obviously suffered, you know, greatly from, um, from the, from the, the problems of, um, civilian air travel. So, I mean, the French government, um, brought forward a number of defense programs to try and assist. The local industry there's there's other countries which have also actually done the opposite just postponed decisions just to uh, wait wait and see essentially um, and also just because their budgets are a lot smaller um, and they've got less room for room for in just the whole of government spending
0: so do you think that this um, will change the the upward trajectory that we've seen for some of these um, emerging uh, defense industrial countries somewhat or uh, will they become more cautious perhaps? Well one one
1: potential negative for the for the Poland's, the Koreas, Turkey's, Brazil's of this world is the, the big the big defence companies in the US, in Europe that have got supply chains that extend out to um, you know those countries and other countries, they might be thinking, well, you know, global shocks like that um you know perhaps our supply chain is a bit vulnerable to that kind of thing and we, and we would be a lot better um and we we're, we're, we're a bit more vulnerable to the way you know lots of different governments handle things maybe we would be better off bringing even though the labor costs might be higher bringing some of that back um, within you know the home country um, i mean they may do a cost benefit analysis and come to a different conclusion of course but that's something that they might be thinking about and of course, just, you know, the the, the 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 really big issue is if lots of um, support for people who are, you know, unemployed or, and also all, all the extra medical care that's been needed, that if that results in cuts to defense budgets, then that's really going to be the big problem. Um, but um, I mean, there's other countries where actually, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Turkey's, Turkey's problem. I mean, I find Turkey to be a really fascinating country in terms of its defense industry, to be honest. But um, I mean, their biggest problem is, you know, like I said, they keep falling out with all their friends. And the uh, the I mean, the S 400 by may will probably have to go down as one of the most expensive um, defense acquisitions of recent time, if you think them kicked off the F 35 programme. So there's no planes and also no, no place in the supply chain as well. Uh, if there's a wider economic downturn in some of these countries, um, I think that will be that would be the thing to look out for in how these countries will fare.
2: As Tom explained uh, quite well, um, uh, for Brazil, Poland, Turkey and Korea do not have uh, luxury to kind of um, having multiple supply chains or diverting supply chains like that. Like, for example, Boeing's Apache helicopter, uh, the one of director interviewed that there they uh, made a decision to maintain two suppliers for their production line uh, for uh, the AH AH-64 Apache helicopter. Uh, But I guess for other countries, uh, they have to consider the the production cost and then their uh, financial record as well. So um, I guess they will have to suffer a bit more.
0: Well, I think that is all that we have time for today. Um, But I want to thank you both for joining me uh, in this episode and for sharing your fascinating area of expertise and insights on defense industry and procurements.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode as well. Please do follow, rate, and subscribe to Sound Strategic wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to keep up to date with all the latest episodes. And for more in-depth analysis of the key international security and defense issues from around the world, please be sure to follow the IISS on Twitter, LinkedIn, or visit the IISS website. Thank you and see you next time.